Let us pray. Gracious God, give us humble, teachable, and obedient hearts that we may receive what you have revealed and do what you have commanded. Amen. The scripture for today comes from the Old Testament, Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down over the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord ordained his blessing, life forevermore. The New Testament lesson today found in the Gospel according to John is a continuation of the Easter story. The disciple Thomas, as you've heard in the children's sermon today, appears in this story. And before I come to reading it, what I'd like to ask you to do is to lay aside anything that you may think you already know about Thomas. Please forget that you ever heard him called Doubting Thomas and discard any notion that you have that he is somehow an inferior disciple. And so now having laid all of that aside, let us listen for the good news that the Spirit is saying to us today. This is the 20th chapter of the Gospel according to John, beginning with verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked because of fear, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hands and put them in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples 
which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thomas was not with them. That's what John writes. John doesn't tell us why Thomas was not there. Perhaps it was something as simple as the fact that the disciples needed somebody to make a late-night grocery run for bread and for milk, and Thomas was the one who drew the short straw. Or maybe it was something deeper. Maybe it was because of Thomas's keening grief. After the crucifixion, he felt the walls closing in on him, and he just had to get out of there and be by himself so that he could breathe. We're not told why Thomas was not there with the other disciples, but it comes true to form for Thomas because earlier in John's gospel, we've read of other times when Thomas was not where everybody else was. In the 11th chapter of John, we're told about how when Jesus learned that his good friend Lazarus had died and he was hell-bent on getting there for the wake, which would take him to Bethany through enemy territory, all of the other disciples said, Rabbi, you can't go there. People are trying to kill you. Thomas pipes up and says, let's go. And then in the 14th chapter of John's gospel, at that famous Passover meal, all of the disciples are there, and Jesus launches into a deep theological soliloquy bathed in candlelight. He is talking about how in his father's house there are many mansions, and he's prepared a place for them, and so they don't need to be afraid because they know where he's going. Thomas, literal-minded, breaks the mood and cuts through what Duke professor and Old New Testament scholar Richard Hayes calls the wispy cloud talk. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know that way? And so, now true to form, Thomas is not where the others are. And so it's entirely believable that when he's not there, and then he comes back, and the other disciples chorus together in perfect two-part harmony as if they had rehearsed it the night before at their virtual choir practice, we have seen the Lord that he does not say, okay, all 10 of you say so, oh, that's good enough for me. No, that's not what Thomas says. He says, unless I see the wounds, I will not believe. And because of his saying that, he's been given that label, doubting Thomas, and somewhere implicit or maybe even explicit at times in calling him doubting Thomas, there is a kind of message, Thomas was a doubter, 
Don't be like Thomas. However, it is striking when we actually read the story as John presents it that Jesus seems to have a special place in his heart for people like Thomas, people who find themselves in a place where it seems that no one else is. And when Thomas speaks out, and the commentaries say it it is in a Greek that is far more vivid than what our English translations would show. Unless you thrust your finger into the marks of the nail in my hand, of your hands, unless I thrust my hand into your side, I will not believe. Jesus responds in equally vivid language. Bring your hand over here, Thomas, and see the marks of the nails in my hand. Bring your hand over here and thrust it into my side. And when you do, you will not be faithless. You will be full of faith. It's a good and gracious word. A good and gracious word, not only to Thomas, but to everyone who's ever been where Thomas is, and that is all of us, for I think in this interplay of faith and doubt that's a part of life for every person who is growing in faith, there are times when we do feel that we are not where everybody else is. Perhaps it's happened to you. Maybe even as recently as last week. Maybe it was last Sunday and your family, maybe some friends that you haven't seen throughout this pandemic year. Finally, everybody's vaccinated and you're getting ready for a Psalm 133 kind of uh, meal where isn't it great to have all your kin together in unity. And so you're sitting there after the ham and the deviled eggs are finished and everybody's talking about this and about that. And then one of those subjects come, comes up, you know, one of those subjects that everybody's agreed they're not going to talk about because it ratchets up the temperature in the room, but somebody can't help himself or herself, and it comes up, and so everybody has to throw in their opinion, and the opinion appears to you to be unanimous, but it's not yours. And you realize that your silence might be interpreted as agreement. And so you try to speak as gently, as mildly as you can, because after all, you love all these people a lot. And you say, I I disagree. Have you ever thought about it this way? And just then, every head in the room ratchets in your direction and wide-eyed shock And one person says, how in the world could somebody who calls herself a good Christian ever say something like that? And that pejorative tone, those words, they're like a punch right in the solar plexus of your faith. It hurts. 
It hurts. And you, like Thomas, are where no one else seems to be. Or perhaps another experience from the past week. It's Easter. And you've always loved Easter. The flowers, the music, all the little kids and their bright colors, their new clothes, swinging their Easter baskets with such delight and anticipation. But this year, you're not feeling it. Not only can you not bring yourself to an indoor or even an outdoor service, you can't even tune in to the live stream. You're just not feeling it. You feel like you've dropped into a dark hole or maybe you're floating in some parallel universe. God seems really far away or perhaps... There's even that thought that perhaps God does not even exist. You, like Thomas, are not where it seems that everybody else is. And then Jesus' response, his response is not to push Thomas away. It's not to shake a long bony finger in his face and say, doubt, doubt. You should be ashamed of yourself, Thomas. Rather, Jesus' response to Thomas is to bless him and to commission him. Jesus' response is to bless Thomas. He shows him his wounds. And then he reaches out with these wounded hands. And he embraces Thomas with arms of love. And he gathers Thomas back into the circle of the disciples. And with this, Thomas's posture of critical detachment collapses. And he stammers out the strongest theological statement that has been uttered since the resurrection. My Lord and my God. In response to Thomas who was not where everybody else was, Jesus offers blessing. He offers blessing, and to Thomas and to us, he also speaks a word of commission. Richard Hayes uh, asked the question, he says, isn't it curious that God raised Jesus from the dead, but did not heal his wounds. Was that an oversight on God's part? Surely not, Hayes says. Surely not. 
And he goes on to say that Thomas's instincts are absolutely correct. For he knows the importance of those wounds. It's notable that Jesus did not say, if I don't see your halo, I will not believe. Thomas understood that the Christ of faith is always the Jesus who was crucified, dead, and buried. For it to be otherwise would be to trivialize the struggle of faith. It would be to trivialize the power of evil in the world. It would be ultimately to trivialize the resurrection. And so, what Jesus does for all of the disciples, including you and me then, is to say, peace be with you. As my Father has sent me, so I send you. As my Father has sent me with all my wounds, I send you out into a wounded world. And so we're sent. We are sent to sit with, to pray with, perhaps even to weep with those who are grieving. We are sent out into the places wherever there is injustice, in our own community, in the nation, in the world. We are sent to work for justice. We are sent to proclaim with joy, that doubt can be a door, a door into discovering the profound love, power, and peace of God. Amen.